welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. All right. Welcome back to the Define the Relationship podcast. We're episode 14. And uh, hooray, this is Ted and this is Darlene. And we are coming to the last chapter of the book. Sad, sad day. No, it's always fun when you finish something. Oh, really? Completion. Oh, okay. Well, that's a different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Actually, what's exciting, hopefully, or potentially, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but we've... Maybe this could be in the prayer request section of yeah, the podcast. Yes. <laughs> we have made a connection with the very Pete ends to see if he might be able to join us in a podcast. So we're hoping. And if you're out there, Pete, and you're listening to us right now... <laughs> Please, Pete. Phone home. <laughs> So, yeah, it would be great to actually have a conversation with him about some of these things and some of our questions. So, yeah, I mean, we recognize that a person like Pete is uh, got lots going on, and he's like most people trying to figure out how to do his job in the midst of COVID, and his job is a university professor. So, uh, we know that that's not an easy thing to do. So. If uh, we do get a chance to speak to him, we will be very, very grateful. Yeah. Okay, so we're in the final chapter, which is entitled Grace and Peace to You. Sounds very biblically. 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 Bibly. Bibly. There we go. We're making up words here on the Define the Relationship podcast. So, um, Darlene is in the, what do we call it? Not the expert seat, but the seat of trying to explain the, what's going on in this chapter. And I'm going to ask the question. So, we're coming to the end. And Pete is wrapping up his argument. And uh, he uses the sentence... You might be wondering what my main point is, and uh, were you wondering what his main point was, and what, what, what is his main point? I, I wasn't really wondering, because I think Pete actually does a fantastic job throughout the book of reiterating, um, I think, where he's going, and of course, he takes it in various directions to explore it, but, <clears throat> excuse me. To me, um, he reinforces in in almost every chapter the the need, the sacred responsibility. I love that phrase, by the way, and I've used it in. I've started to use it in my language, and I've started to think about it when I'm actually opening the Bible. Like, um, it's a different kind of reverence than. Like I think I grew up like that we need to have reverence for the Bible and I and I feel like I don't think about it in the same way, but now I've begun to approach it with a real sacred responsibility. So back to Pete's point, I think um 
the sacred responsibility of <clears throat> of reimagining who God is in our time and that it is our it's our responsibility to do it because it's been modeled it is what the bible does it is what the history has shown us um after the bible it is it is this the example that has been set before us. You know how in the Bible when um, um, Jesus shares, um, I'm just thinking about this right now, you know, when he washes the disciples' feet and then do this, and, you know, I've set an example for you. Um, or when he shares the the bread and the cup, the body and the, the blood and says, do this in remembrance of me. And I feel like this book has been an example of um, Pete pointing us to the Bible and to um, the example that um, the Bible actually lays out before us and says, do this, reimagine it. Think about it for your time as the... um, the prophets of old have done, as the the writers of the New Testament have done, as the Israelites have done, as the psalmists have done, um, do this. And that, like, um, that fills me with a sense of, um, I, I think at the beginning of the book, I would say it filled me with more of a sense of, oh, that sounds so hard, like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know if people are up for that. And, and now coming to the end of the book, I feel uh, a greater sense of awe and excitement. So I think, I think you did a really good job of summarizing the main, the main point. Now I wonder, it, it feels like, um, what does it mean to ha- have the sacred responsibility of taking the Bible seriously. It seems like there's a bit of a shift that we need to make about what it means to take something seriously. Um, the last sentence of this chapter and the end of the book, Pete reiterates that God is not a helicopter parent. And I, I think that's such a good image um, because what does it mean to take your parents seriously? You know, or like... Um, we sometimes think if you're taking your parents seriously, you're honoring your mother and your father, it means just doing what they tell you to do, right? Yes. That's kind of the, and and I think if we're honest, we've had that simplistic sort of approach to the Bible. Even people who have wrestled with the text and and taken taken the ambiguities, the diversities, how ancient the text is, which Pete has invited us into, um, I still think that kind of we still come to it with a mindset at times of, well, that's all in service of getting the right answer or the fundamental truth claim that we need to come to grips with. And this feels a bit more like a, a different kind of relationship with a parent. If the Bible is the parent, God is the parent in this case, there's a bit more taking that seriously means pushing back, asking questions, saying, you know, you know, dad, that may have been 
the way it was 50 years ago when you were growing up, but, you know, I live in a very different world. I deal with different challenges, and things that you never even thought would be issues are now issues for me. So I'm going to need to work this out. I'm going to need to figure it out on my own, and that's a, that's a real big shift for us to make. Like it, we've kind of been taught that that's sort of dishonoring. It's disobeying the person who is our elder. And um, so this is a real, I think this is a real challenging switch that we need to make. I actually love that metaphor. I think, I think that's a really good one for us to play with. And to, to the, the paradigm shift too, is that, that the parent, the mother isn't disappointed in our working it out for ourselves. In fact, don't kind of like, um, I think, I think Pete uses the term too, like don't expect um, the, the heavy, not to do any of the heavy, heavy lifting, mm. you know? And in, in some I, ways I, he, he I talks to avoid heavy lifting these days. Right. And, and sometimes we, we want to have, um, I know that there's times in my life where I feel like, just tell me what to do. Like if I'm feeling really overwhelmed um, you know, you, you would understand this cause we go in, if I'm feeling overwhelmed and we go into a restaurant and it's sometimes it's like, just tell me what to do. Just, you know, or I think there's times in our life when we just feel like, please just don't make me figure this out on my own. And sometimes, you know, if God's not a helicopter parent, then God doesn't want to like rush in and rescue us from the wrestle, from the suffering, from the questions. God is actually, um, wants us to say, okay, that may have been true 70 years ago, but what's happening? What's happening now? What, like, what's, what's going on now? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, really well put. I wonder, I wonder about this piece, um, Maybe the like we've been we've been immersed in this book for the last couple of months as we've been making our way through it, and I don't know how people out there who've been also reading the book and following along with us where they're kind of finding themselves. But um, one of the questions I have as we come to the end is, what are some of the maybe some of the new learnings that that we've gotten from this? Um, I mean, some of the stuff that Pete's been talking about, I mean, it's not unfamiliar to me and kind of, it was easy to track with, but I was kind of thinking like, what's sort of getting reinforced in a way that I hadn't really maybe put as much emphasis on And And I, I think the one thing, um, and I think it connects to what we've just been talking about is I think a big thing for me is the title of the book that I think it gets at it, that um, ends is is helping us understand how the Bible is actually working. You know, if we don't, if we don't have the proper frame for what we are being given in the words of Scripture, um, that kind of leads maybe us to get into some, maybe some um, distorted understandings of how to approach the Bible. But he's making this point at the very end again that, you know, we have the Bible, and this is how the Bible works. It is a people continually reimagining 
at taking the sacred responsibility of understanding God for their time. And we can only approach the Bible in a serious way if we also come with that same approach, that we try to understand the heavy lifting they did and then now try to apply the heavy lifting to our time. And I, um, I think that's the thing that stuck with me the most is that we, well, let's put it in this language because maybe sometimes we understand that we're disobeying the Bible if we don't come at it that way. Mm-hmm. That's where there's disobedience. It's mm-hmm. not, well, it says, um, you know, don't answer a fool. So make sure you never answer a fool because the Bible says that. It's saying, well, what, what's going on there? And, oh, here it says, well, you should answer the fool. And, oh, boy, there's, there's a wrestle there. And what were they wrestling with? And now what's my wrestle? You know, they didn't have... What fools do I come in contact yeah, with? Yeah, <laughs> like they don't have a social media feed that feels like it's sometimes inhabited by fools and wise people and in between now, how and do I how do I deal with it? Because it's do it does something in you, right? Right. Like there's something, something going, going on inside yeah. of you, and there's yeah. something going on inside of others, and there's something going on in the spirit of God, yeah. in, the, in the world. And what what is our call? What is the wisdom question? Yeah, I I mean I I think um, no no part of our faith can is allowed really to just avoid those questions um to make them simplistic um we we have to we have to engage that um so here's a so this image this image of heavy lifting mm-hmm. it, i mean like i was i made the little little quip there said i'm trying to avoid heavy lifting these days i'm well into my 50s and not I'm, well you're only well, 52 I'm, I'm no i'm yeah you're well, 52. I guess I'm 52 i always feel like i'm older than I am. i'm coming up on 53 <laughs> anyway i sometimes think that i want to avoid heavy lifting because i want my body to be in good shape 20 years from now and um, allowing younger, stronger people to <laughs> lift heavy things would be a good idea. But when you think about heavy lifting, it feels a bit like well, it's all on me to to do the research and figure stuff out and understand the history of the last 2,000 years of, of the church reimagining and the traditions and all that kind of stuff. Is it is it just up to us to approach the Bible and take on all the heavy lifting or... Or is there something, is there something shared in this process that we could uh, maybe lift with a bunch of people? Or yeah, I well, there's a bunch of things I'd like to say about that. I asked in my um, class, in one of my classes, we got to talk this last week with an author, um, Jason Biasi, who wrote the book "Surprised by Jesus," and there's a lot of beautiful um, synergy with Pete in in some of his material. And one of the questions I asked him was around accessibility, which is, I think, kind of what you're getting at. Because I said, you know, 
this is great and everything, but I, I'm not, I'm thinking very practically about the people in our community and their lives and their jobs. Let's just say like, just on the surface schedule, like the ability to kind of dig into the biblical text and the ancient, um, you know, early fathers and mothers and to really do your work like this takes dedication and like time. And okay. So a people don't have a lot of time. B, uh, we have a lot of people in our community that are kind of done with the Bible or have been done. Mm -hmm. And so maybe some of those people are listening and kind of going, okay, like I, I love this, but I still, I don't like, I don't know that it feels much more accessible to me if I have to do so much work to, 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 to what? So much work to get something out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I asked him that question mm. and he said, great question. <laughs> And now I'm trying to think, what's the answer? Well, just tell me the answer. <laughs> you know, it was like, and he didn't have a very, you know, clear cut answer, which, which was nice, I guess. But then one of, um, a woman in my cohort, she said, what if, a, what if you, you, because we are some people that are leading in this community. And so we're doing some of the heavy lifting, maybe that other people don't have time for. And we can share um, nuggets and, um, you know, I think that's one one thing. But she also said, what if it was like there were little handles? So one of them in, in our course, and I think Pete would probably agree with this, is when you're reading the Bible and you open it up and your um, approach to it is everything I read must be the lens that I read it through must, it has to be befitting of God. This is a phrase given to us by an early church father. Mm. It must be befitting of God and God is good. Mm. And so whenever you read something that's like, uh, excuse me, mm. God's wants God demanded that all the Canaanites be killed and women and children. Um, well, it's actually not possible for God to command the genocide of a people because that is not befitting of God, mm -hmm. of a God of love. And so you don't throw it out, but you say, what is the whiz? What's, what is going on here? There's other things going on here. There's a, um, there's something that is of wisdom here. And, um, so I think, I think that that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, that's well said. I think, um, in the chapter, Ends introduces some ideas like he introduces the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which mm -hmm. I mean, um, Wesley was, um, in the tradition of the, like he started the Methodist movement of, of Christianity coming out of the Reformation and 
quadrilateral is just like if you remember back from uh, your geometry and math, it's just a four-sided four-sided shape is a quadrilateral, so a square or whatever, and so has four components of we come to scripture and we take the scripture serious. We first of all by our own reason, so that means our own able our logic, our thinking, what we know about the way the world is, what we've experienced, our background. We take the tradition seriously. We say, well, what has our tradition said? So maybe the nearer tradition of our particular faith tradition for us. We come out of the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition, so we want to take some of the thinking that our forefathers and foremothers did around Scripture and then we look at the scripture itself, and, and uh, we come to understanding by, um, I guess, the quadrilateral is we hold these things together. into some, They give shape to something together. One should not take precedence. Um, and uh, it feels a bit like that's a way that we're not doing all the heavy lifting ourselves either, that we we become a conversation partner with other people that have wrestled with stuff. And mm. um, again, it doesn't mean we're stuck imagining the way people 300 years imagined this to be true, but we want to take it seriously and we want to take the whole history seriously. So that's another part of it. Um, I've also been thinking too, but like because we come from the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition, we have a very strong tradition of the community reading scripture yeah. together. And by that, um, we take the voice of the community very seriously. So everybody in the community can um, have a voice in that. Like this past Sunday we did in our pop-up cell groups that we, we had at, at, um, at the exchange, and we were doing a Lectio Divina reading of scripture which is a devotional reading of scripture. And part of that process is the community that was gathered, 14 people listening to the words. In this particular case, we were reading somebody else's mail. We were reading Paul's mail to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians. And, um, and everybody was able to say what stuck out for them and what, how did that impact them and what did it do in them. And... Everybody's voice mattered. The leader's voice and the and the rest of the people all had a voice in that. There was no sort of authority figure doing all the heavy lifting. And in, in that we learn from each other and we and we grow. So I feel like all those things are really important because I, I think I mean maybe that's part of it is like some people when they define their relationship with the Bible, they say things like, Well, I think I bit I'm on a, a bit of a break. Like this relationship is far too much work for me right now. So I'm going to take a break from it. And other people can say, well, while you're taking a break, we'll continue to reimagine and wrestle and try to bring life and good news out of the scriptures and, um, and continue to be in community with you even though you're on a break. Yeah, I think uh, I agree that the communal aspect to me feels has felt highlighted in that I want to create more opportunities for us in our, in our community at seeds to, you know, read communally, 
listen communally, kind of converse around our um, our own histories and our own kind of understandings. Pete, um, towards the end, he said, um, I am reminded again of the Bible itself and how it port- how its portraits of God are deeply rooted in the culture of the time. When Yahweh is described as a mighty warrior who slays the enemy or a sovereign king who makes treaties with his people or male or seated in the midst of a divine council of gods, I'm reminded that there is no God talk that can keep its distance from our humanity. All of our language for God, including that of the biblical writers, is inescapably enmeshed with how people of any time think and talk about anything, even as they speak of one who is not bound by time and place and, of course, language, too. Um, So it really mimics when, like in the scriptures, we see language that mimics the empire uh, because that's just what made sense. Mm -hmm. So when we speak of God, we... You know, we speak, we need to be able to speak in the language of our time, understanding that we're completely um, limited in in our speak. Um, I don't know if we've ever talked about the word anthropomorph, anth- anthropomorphizing. So it's basically attributing human characteristics to God. And there can be a real danger in that if we, you know, we're, again, we're saying like, this is God and well, God is actually beyond any, any language, but we still also need to use language or we're using language to, to imagine God, to experience God, to talk about God. Um, so we're, we're always kind of living within the confines of our time and, and recognizing that, like, God is absolutely beyond the confines of our time. Right? Yeah, and I think, like, the whole thing about anthropomorphizing God, in a sense, we we cannot really speak of God without speaking from our human perspective. So that's just, like, a given. But at the same time, when we recognize the danger of that given... Um, this is where I think, too, that the heavy lifting of the community is so important because often in history, the people who have been um, centering their ideas about who God is are often people in a place of power that have power over others. And so it's not surprising that sometimes God looks like the power that we are exercising ourselves. And um, the Bible is actually pretty good at speaking from the perspective of, of those who aren't in power. Like much of the New Testament is coming from voices of people who are not in power. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we even see that in, in, in some of the Old Testament voices, that God comes and speaks on behalf of those who are oppressed and those who are in need. And um, so when we we should feel free, I think, to speak about God from our own experience and at the same time um, allow others to challenge that and say, well, have you thought about the perspective of the women's perspective on this particular way of thinking? Because there are some 
um, disparities in our society between women and men or people of color, um, people who are disabled. Um, you know, you could think of all kinds of places where people can be marginalized because of the, their particular experience, their age or their or where they're from. And um, so we shouldn't try to get rid of using human language and human experience, but we need to be able to both speak and also allow what we're having to say come under under kind of critique from other perspectives and hold them together. Mm-hmm. So let's let's transition a bit as we come to the end of this book um, and in anticipation of talking potentially to Pete, what are the, what are the questions that remain for you um, as we come to the end? Like um, what, what, what are things that we would like to ask Pete about and say, well, what do we, how do we, how do we wrestle with this aspect of um, aspect of the reimagining process, the sacred responsibility, the wisdom the wisdom work that we're being called to. What are some of the questions that we have? And I, I wonder if we could, if we could find a way for people who've been following along in this process, what are your questions? Yeah. Like what would your questions be? And maybe we could bring some of those. I probably the best way to get those questions to us is to simply pop an email to, uh, let's make it really simple office at seedschurch.ca And, um, if you know other other ways to get it to us via text or or direct message or whatever, you can do that. But it'd be really good if you, what are your questions that we could bring to Pete? And um, but it's your turn, Dara. What what are what are your big questions? Oh wow i i would I will need to sit down and think about that really carefully for if and when we actually sit down with Pete. But one of the things that I'm thinking about right in this moment is. Um, so in this podcast today, we've talked a lot about heavy lifting and responsibility and, and, you know, those, those sound hard, right? And, um, and, and why, I guess the question inside of me is, okay, we, do we need to be reminded again of like, well, the reason why we would do that is because what we'd find there is good. Like there's, like if it's true that that um, that God, uh, you know, that God's spirit and um, son and creation and that it, it has the effect of redeeming and putting together things that are broken and. Um, you know, um, if the core mystery of that, of our faith is something that could be really good news for us, then that might be something we would, we are willing to do some heavy lifting for. Mm. So is there a question in there? The, I think the question maybe is, um, I'm always, I think I'm always thinking practically about, you know, what, why do we want to encourage people to read it? Then Mm. if it's so hard, why, if there's so much um, heavy lifting in it, 
why why would somebody just your regular Joe uh, want to pick it up? Good question. Do you have one? Yeah, I think I feel like one of the well, it's kind of two questions, but I think maybe the the bigger question is if it's true, and I think you know, ends and others makes a pretty good argument that it is true that how the Bible actually works is it describes a community for our tradition in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where people are reimagining who God is for their time and uh, they're doing that wisdom work. Now, the question I have is um, we, in our tradition, the Christian tradition, there has been a point where the what is considered the sacred scriptures has like there's a there's a boundedness to that scriptures like it's been set in stone with a canon of what is in the new and what is in the old and yeah there's a little bit of discrepancy between which books are included for different traditions but we're now you know almost 2000 years clear of that time when that happened um do we how do we do this reimagining work in our time and is that just sort of something that takes place in a great amount of diversity i mean we're a super diverse tradition now the the church like are you basically asking um whether it's time for a new canon or um like we we read I mean, in our tradition, we actually don't read the creeds, but like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, um, these are creeds that are, you know, very old. And what are, I mean, we have creeds, I guess, that we, that we have today too. They're just not, you know, universal in a way, in a way that they, they were. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's a bit of a laughable question in the sense that, being so many centuries removed from the early church that put together the scriptures that we have and that have been the tradition of the church is to, it's the Holy Bible. These are the sacred scriptures. And there's um, things get added, like in terms of creeds and theology and stuff like that. But it feels like the further away we've gotten from that, the more diverse and ambiguous it's gotten and um, well, even it, in our Mennonite, oh, sorry, I didn't let you ahead. finish the thought. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even in our um, denomination, our Mennonite church denomination, we have we also have a confession of faith that is worked at, but it also gets amended and changed, and people within the denomination have a divergence from, you know, they agree you know, with some things in the confession, but not necessarily with other things. And so you're kind of, I mean, you're, you're saying there was maybe more of a unity then. And now there's like a million different denominations and creeds and it's like all, we're all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Like it at least appears when you look at the history that there was 
I mean, not to downplay the diversity that was present in the first, second, third centuries. I mean, I'm sure this is the part of time that you're focusing on in your studies right now and you're seeing that. Oh yeah. There's uh, lots of yeah. disagreement. Like it, I mean, part of my question, and maybe this would be the second question that comes out of it. Um, he makes this comment actually in this last chapter about, um, I should just find it where he, he kind of talks a bit about the, the process of the, um, there's the creeds of the early church some of them we might be familiar with, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, like um, which it's sort on of page two seventy four. Yeah, yeah, and then he then he talks about the the medieval church, which is you know another five hundred years past that, kind of uh, around a thousand and, and later. Um, talks about the four methods of reading the Bible, literally, allegorically, morally, or prophetically, and then he moves into the Reformation, and he makes us comment, a um, bit of a snarky comment, but I think um, makes a really good point. He says, and then there's the broad movement known as the Protestant Reformation, which is more like 500 years ago. And um, we're super, super influenced by the, the Protestant Reformation. And in fact, this plethora of denominations sort of grew out of that movement. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and he says, the broad movement known as the Protestant Reformation wasn't dropped out of heaven to correct 1,500 years of bad Catholic theology, which is what some Protestants think. I mean, we've tended to think of the tradition we come from, which is birthed out of that period of time, that this was the great corrective in the church, and then it sort of erased 1,500 years of distortions and and get missing the point and all that kind of stuff. But it, the more I'm learning about, you know, the first 15 centuries of the church, the more I find myself thinking like, well, maybe actually we could make an argument. It's actually the opposite that the Protestant Reformation, although it was had its heart in the right place, that it's created many more problems for us than, than, um, than the first 1,500 years of the church. And and that's partly where we learned how to read the Bible the way many of us learned how to read the Bible, that it's sola scriptura, scriptures only, the scriptures only. And this is where fundamentalism and biblical literalism really found its footing. And um, But if you go to the 2nd and 3rd century writers and theologians, you see, oh my goodness, there's, they're, they're not advocating a literal reading of the Bible, like a hundred years after Jesus or, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, they're talking about, about symbolism and about, you know, various layers up to seven layers of how we interpret scripture and the reformation, like hundreds of years later comes along and says, oh, the only way to read the Bible is literally, you know, and, and wow, has that ever taken uh, many churches in a different direction? And yeah, so, so maybe part of the question is, can we get the genie back in the bottle? Like, is there a (laughs) way that we can, um, obviously learning the history is really helpful because it feels like many many people in our time in the 21st century are, are gathering a lot of wisdom 
an understanding from the first and the second and the third centuries of of uh, the Christian tradition, and we're and we're starting to realize that well, oh, they they looked at things in a way that maybe resonate for us more than 100, 200 years ago of Christian tradition resonates with us. And yet we are in a time where, um, you know, I think he also, he, he made this comment in that same paragraph about the Reformation that we have churches that are forming coalitions trying to recover the spirit of the, Re- the Reformation, um, you know, in a way like, well, we just have to get it the way they got it, the reformers got it, and that's that's the answer. And this is it's kind of like it's not reimagining, it's just sort of let's pick the historical period of time of the church that we think is the right one, and then let's bring it here. Let's and make P- the church great again. But P- <laughs> haha, see what you did there. But Pete says wisdom leads us to dialogues with the past. It doesn't lead us back to the past. And that's a beautiful... Hearty amen to that, yeah. I think. Yeah. but We should I, probably but, end, hey? I don't know. What time are is we, it? Are we... I don't know. We're just going on and on today. Are we? It's only been 40 minutes during... Yeah, that's long. <laughs> We've gone longer before. <laughs> Send us your questions. <clears throat> we would love to hear your questions. Definitely. Definitely. And... And we're not just saying that. Like, we really, we need to hear from from you so that we can, uh, otherwise you're just going to get Ted and Darlene's questions, which are what they are, but uh, it's only, it's not as, not diverse enough. Well, thanks for being with us on this journey, and we hope the next time you hear from us that we will be um, in conversation with Pete Enns. And if not, um We'll have to figure out something else to do. So, which I think we will. Yeah, I think we <laughs> I think we'll be able to do that. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, take care. Bye.